mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. This is episode number 312. I'm Menika Mahajan, the pot smoking PhD and founder of Mahajan Consulting, filling in for the News Hour's founder, Susan Soris. The State of Cannabis News Hour is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you for checking us out. Please help other cannabis lovers find us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Today, we're talking about a GOP Congresswoman's victory lap, medical cannabis access in DC, Nevada eyeing cannabis lounges, the United Nations recent report on global drug trends, Canopy's financial woes, worker protections, Montana voters school their elected officials on democracy, and other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He keeps his highly calibrated bullshit meter in the stash pocket of his hemp hoodie. Rico asks the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive will turn any homework to bring a smile to his kiddo's face. By every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, what do you have for us today? Apologies in advance for any uh, background noise or anything. I'm uh, off grid right now with the family. Checking out Sesame Place. So I'll be back in, uh, in L.A. at the end of the week. So uh, if you guys hear Elmo, Oscar, or any of the other Muppets in the background, um, you know what. So my story is coming from MJ Moment, uh, Kyle Yeager. GOP Congresswoman takes a victory lap after primary win and talks next steps for her legalization bill. South Carolina's Nancy Mace. She's the former GOP freshman that ruffled several elephant feathers out the gate, quickly challenging conservative dinosaurs and becoming the first in her party to offer a conservative bill to federally legalize cannabis with the State's Reform Act, which received backing by both Coke Industries and Amazon. Of course, there's plenty of intra-party pushback, um, making her an easy target for opponents and even a prohibitionist pack formed by her own state's Republican Party aimed at taking down the SRA. But none of it even mattered because she won. I'm personally not a fan of most leading conservative viewpoints on legalization, but with Republicans looking a lot like they'll win big come midterms, her voice will be the loudest in the room. And I think advocates of the plant should be listening closely, plant touching or not. After winning her primary, May sat down for an interview with Kyle Yeager and had some pretty interesting things to say, for better or worse. Some of the highlights. When asked about victory, despite being attacked by her own party over legalization, her response was, the only place it's controversial is in D.C., where, the, where they're still trying to promote prohibition and say it's a gateway drug. The American people are smarter than that, and actually, it gave us a real opportunity to have a real conversation about a plant that has had so many benefits for so many people across the country. She went on to say that she used the attacks as an opportunity to educate colleagues and in the public. It's her passion and something she's worked on as a state lawmaker before coming to Congress, pulling the hell out of it before moving. While the gateway comment was broad, Joe Biden is the first person that comes to mind uh, when I think of gateway drug mindset. He, and that's our leader. It's not good. I did like how she said that she used uh, the negativity as an opportunity for education and a fan of strategizing around data sets before getting tactical. 
When asked about receiving a commitment from committee leadership and holding a hearing on the SRA this year, she said, there's less than 28 days left legislatively between now and the end of the year, and they're pushing up against a deadline. With January 6 hearings going on, it's a major hurdle. They're, um, they were expecting to do it in July, but with the hearings in Janu on January 6th, again, um, it's pushing everything back, and they're looking at the only other option being September. So there she's preemptively blaming her own party's inability to get their shit together because the a former president's treasonous acts are currently being exposed. I thought conservatives said that the hearings are all bullshit, lies, and meaningless, but everything else is on hold, right? Kabufi theater at its finest. And I see this as Mace giving herself wiggle room uh, to work around a party that ain't budging anytime soon. There will be turbulence. If Republicans retake the House majority, what role does uh, she see herself playing in building buy-in from GOP colleagues? Here's where things got interesting for me. She said that she wants to figure out uh, whatever the barometer is in the Senate and the House. If it's only going to be safe banking, it ain't good enough. What are the next barriers that we can remove for businesses, for the economy, for descheduling, for decriminalization? What does that chessboard look like? We want to have a leadership role. She did not mention social equity or any kind of assistance to communities hit hardest by the war on drugs. I know she originally had marginal provisions in the SRA, but she made no mention of any of those within this interview. Um, and I think that should be noted and, and raise a couple of eyebrows of people who said that she was going to be supporting social equity. Um, the interview went on to cover the, uh, her first congressional terms, ups and downs, as well as her personal relationship with the plant. And I thought it was pretty compelling. Um, I'm hoping that Kyle releases a video or at least audio version of the interview so we can get a better feel of how um, of her and her stances uh, beyond just text. But there's a lot of good tidbits in there for me, both explicit and reading between the lines. I'd recommend the full article read if you got about 10 minutes to burn at some point today. But like it or not, Nancy Mace is next up in the future face of cannabis legalization. Will she be able to get it done? There's Rico Lamit, Dope is Dad, reporting live with the fam from these San Diego Sesame Streets for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do y'all think? Rico, I think you're amazing for uh, phoning it in or for doing the job, even when you're on family vacation. So you're definitely a superstar. Um, I thank you for bringing this article. I think that, you know, unfortunately, uh, for all the possible good that uh, Nancy Mace might be doing by trying to bring forward some kind of bill, uh, even from the Republican side, you know, it's just never going to include social equity at all from that side of the house. Uh, so we can't, we can't expect it to ever be there. Uh, but we should fight for it anyway. Actually, um, uh, Mace, how, how Mace feels in regards with social equity is that it should be a state issue and should be left up to states and localities to figure that part out for communities that were harmed by the most by the war on drugs. That's a great dodge. That's not a dodge, Christopher. That, that should, it should be left to the locals for them to figure out what works best for their communities because those who knows the harms that were created the most. I know. I heard the words. It's a dodge. But um, I, I would counter that. I, I would counter that your statement, Jason, uh, Jason, because the hits on the communities were coming from a federal stance. The whole regardless if it was coming from a, fe a fe federal stance or not, it doesn't matter. Look, 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 all politics are local. And so if you want to do things for the community, it's best to do them on a local state by state basis. Do you think that um, do you think that any kind of social measure, uh, social equity measures will ever be levied on anybody from a federal standpoint? No. 
do you think social equity will ever um, flourish in any form or fashion without federal? First support? of all, social equity is never going to flourish because it's socialist equity. And let, let's let's just keep it real. And if there, people are setting people up for failure, not setting them up for success. So social equity is flawed in all those aspects just from the jump. Say, so we the, have voting, a, the Voting Rights Act gone, Civil Rights Act gone, uh, just all socialist, right? We have Ginger up from the audience. Ginger, would you like to weigh in on this headline? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a medical patient, um, and I, I also would just like to point out that um, in our workforce and people being gainfully employed is kind of a really big deal right now. And um, when insurance is involved and uh, people are not able to be um, insured on a global or national level, that affects people in our communities uh, from being able to be employed with big corporate companies because of their off-duty cannabis use, oftentimes even when they do have medical licenses. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Felicia. States' rights is a, a dog whistle. Um, I think Nixon used it first to get the um, Southern Democrats to join the Republican Party. Um, t present day, the states that have the most repressive laws against minorities and women are the ones who are screaming about states' rights. They're also the ones who have the poorest infrastructure to take care of mental health and um, just regular health. And, and they don't look like they're gonna be able to take care of all these babies that they want to be born against the mother's will. So states rights is just a dog whistle for racism. You're so right, Dr. Felicia. I'm so glad you said it exactly that right. It's complete bullshit. It's the same, same bullshit as local control. It's the same, it's all the same. Now guns rights is the same, you use that same language and now abortions are gonna use the same language. It's all the same, it's trash. Yes, yes, yeah, baby. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it is a dog whistle through and through. Anytime you hear states' rights, you know it's not going to assist any people, of, people or communities of color. It just is what it is. I'm not buying the whole victimization role. If if we listen to states' rights, uh, the slave the slave states would still have slavery. Sure. That, that is that is not that's true exactly, at all. I'm not, that's exactly is, where no, it started. No, states, no. states' rights started with slavery. States' rights started with Confederate states claiming that they had the rights to keep slaves. That's where the phrase for, came no, from. No, no, st st states' slavery. rights, Christopher. States' it rights absolutely came from, from a your history, of Jason. all of these states and people wanting different things to be laws in their different states. Come on, keep it real. Read your read, read your history, Jason. The Civil it. War happened because of this. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's He's known in Detroit as White Gucci, in London as the booth free bloke. And here, he's the longest continuously operating retailer in the industry, and he loves smoking on the best weed in the world. Jason Beck, what do you have for us this morning? Happy Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Happy Wednesday. Thank you so much, Rico. Hope everyone is having a fantastic work week this week. And my story today comes out of, that's right our nation's capital, where a DC council allows adults over 21 easier access to medical cannabis. DC residents who are 21 and older will soon be able to self-certify their eligibility for medical cannabis under a proposal passed by the DC council on Tuesday night, which also approved measures allowing some minors to 
to get certain vaccines without their parents' consent, and another bill to give residents at risk of foreclosure more time to access new funds. But none of those two things have anything to do with this article. So I will proceed. The cannabis bill marks the latest attempt by lawmakers to support the city's medical marijuana industry, which they say has lost business to more easily accessible marijuana gifting shops based in the district. Unregulated gifting businesses, which give patrons cannabis so long as they purchase another item like a sticker, poster, T-shirt, grew in number after 2014 when adult use cannabis use and possession were legalized in the district but not sales entrepreneurs say the gifting method offers a way around restrictions imposed by congress that prevent dc from regulating its sale <coughs> excuse me but dc council chairman phil mendelson democrat and other lawmakers have criticized the district's 40 plus marijuana gifting shops arguing that these gray market businesses pull residents away from the city's seven regulated medical marijuana dispensaries, which are subject to taxes. In April, the council narrowly struck down a bill that would have allowed D.C. to impose harsh civil fines on gifting shops, while also allowing any adult resident to self-certify to obtain medical cannabis. On Tuesday, the council unanimously passed an emergency bill that focused only on the self-certification aspect. Mendelssohn has argued that obtaining a practitioner's recommendation for medical marijuana is cumbersome, creating delays for residents who need treatment. Not to mention, you can only get one of these recommendations if you live in the District of Columbia, particularly those who are Un uninsured or lack of fiscal resources driving them toward gifting businesses instead. Permitting patients to self-certify will provide a crucial stopgap measure to help legal cannabis dispensaries retain and even win back medical cannabis patients from the illicit gray market, reads the bill, which was introduced by council members Mary M. Che, Democrat from the 3rd Ward, and Kenyon R. McDuffie, Democrat from the 5th Ward. Savvy business owners have pushed the legal limits of the gifting industry, McDuffie said, ahead of the vote. I've had medical dispensaries that have reached out to me and my staff and say that, with, that if we don't pass this measure, it could put their businesses into jeopardy. In a statement, the I-71 committee, which advocates for the city's marijuana gifting businesses, said they were supportive of the bill, in part because it increases access to cannabis without harming legacy cannabis operators in the process. Earlier this year, the council passed a bill that allows residents 65 and older to self-certify for medical cannabis until September 30th, and everyone who self-certifies will be enrolled in the city's medical cannabis registry. Mendelssohn has vowed to preserve stronger penalties against gifting shops so the saga continues but this is a victory for all residents and anyone that travels to dc the fact that they'll be able to self-certify as a patient and have access to to the stores that are open to service the community is going to be a great asset to the dc area and this is jason beck reporting for the state of cannabis news hour thank you for covering this one jason this is a huge victory i agree with you Nobody else want to talk about medical patients in D.C.? Come on now. All use is medical use. Well, I hope that they encourage people who have complex medical conditions and situations to seek, you know, consultation with a cannabinoid provider. That's that's my only suggestion. A cannabinoid provider, is that some new form of, 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 of medicine now? Dr. Felicia, is that a new degree that one can obtain? A cannabis, medical cannabis provider. 
Yes, work with a medical cannabis provider if you have a complex medical situation. Wouldn't a medical cannabis provider just be a dispensary? Because no, they're actually no, providing the cannabis. No, 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 not. I mean, they're providing the cannabis, but that that doesn't mean that they know medicine or the interaction of cannabis with medicine. Oh, you're asking for extremely high cost, burdensome uh, employees to be there. Then, is well, that what well you're... let me put it to you like this, Jason. When a when a pharmaceutical rep comes to your office, do you want the pharmaceutical rep to? Um, to treat you as a patient because they know about this particular drug or do you want the doctor or the PA or the midwife to treat you? Do you want I, the salesperson to treat you or do you want somebody who has some some kind of knowledge, some deep knowledge? I trust knowledge the person about with physiology. Actual real life with actual real life experiences with the actual products that I'm purchasing, not just someone who's trained to read spreadsheets to be able to say, "Oh, well this mixes with this and that's not good." I'm looking you forward need both. to the, I'm looking forward to the day uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, Dr. Felicia. Um, I'm looking forward to the day where it's all covered by insurance and I can go buy an ounce for a $20 copay. You're never going to see that day, Rico, because you can't even support safe banking. So that day is never going to happen in your world. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Let's get Nancy Mace's ideas. That and, happens uh, if you don't. With, with some, with some, uh, with some uh, liberal action on there, too. And uh, let's bring it all together in unison. In unison. Let, let, let me tell you something. Hey, Rico, that day never happens unless we make sure that the medical programs across the country don't get cannibalized by adult use. Ooh, that's an interesting thread to go down. What do you think about that, Jason? I mean, she's right. She's right. And like I said before, all use is medical use. Like that's that, that's something that always has to be preserved in all legislation is is the medical necessity when it comes to cannabis. But I am going to push back on on the activists on that is we do have to be extremely careful on how we message on that because um, because we don't want cannabis to be treated just as a medicine because that could have detrimental effects to how we operate and commence commerce as well. So it's a double edged sword with that. I agree. Good conversation on that. Anybody from the audience want to want to chip in on that before we move on? Yeah, sorry. I uh, my bad. I uh, turned off hand raising. Getting the hang of this. So uh, Mary wants to come up from the audience. Dr. Mary, what's happening? And kudos to D.C. for trying to assert themselves because they really ought to be a state. Yes, they should be. They should not be a state. They no, they should not be a state. That's just ridiculous. But thank goodness that they are doing this because it does provide more access. And because the reality is that most people that even go to D.C. don't even live in D.C. They live in surrounding states uh, like uh, Maryland and Virginia. Uh, or, but this uh, is going to give them all access. <laughs> Hold up. You want more states' rights, but you don't want more states. Yeah, right? I want more states' rights, but I don't want more states. Exactly. Exactly. You know, oh, 100%. Ah, only need, if they're Republican states, states, Rico. He, he only wants a Republican state. That's all. No, I, I, I don't want any more states. I don't want any more states. I'm fine with territories and provinces and whatever the fuck else you want to call them, but no more states. Awesome. Not, we don't want 52 stars on the flag? No, no, no. I mean, what are we going to do when we purchase Greenland? We're not going to call that a state. We're going to call that a territory. Dr. Mary, what you got for us? 
Well, medical cannabis is a bit under attack, I, and I'm not sure exactly what the idea is here to uh, to allow patients to self-certify. I mean, I think it's reasonable, but I think it's more of a drive for the state to drive everything into a recreational dispensary to increase uh, regulatory fees and licensing fees. It's not they don't they don't allow they don't allow adult use dispensaries, Doctor Mary. So how can you say that when they're only medical there? Well, I'm wondering if they're if they're if they're driving, uh, you know, the legislation to the to the way that they want the future to look in D.C. So that would they'll pass a recreational law and then everybody will go recreational because right now in Colorado, they're making it extremely difficult to write a uh, a medical card. And I think the other states are going to follow suit and just get rid of this this two dispensary plan and just have everybody be served through recreational. That, that's that, what that I is think. not, that's not, that's just uh, speculation and fear mongering uh, to, to yeah. patients. Yeah, right. yeah, that, yeah, that is this, cause that's not even, that's not even the goal or the agenda with this bill. Um, they already clearly stated in the article that, that DC tried to pass a recreational sales bill and were unable to do so. So, so this is not the direction that they're trying to take it to. What they want to do is they want to get more people involved in purchasing it through a legal format. So that way they can capture the tax revenue from a medical standpoint and be able to know that, that customers are receiving quality meds instead of this fucking trap shop gifting bullshit that they have going on in D.C. So they want more customers for for uh, for a registered uh, cannabis program, and they're I mean why? But why not allow people to go through the typical card program that they do in every other state? They don't I have mean, a typical card program. That's not how DC works at all, Mary. It's totally different there. Exactly, <laughs> but they're but also they're, too, they're trying to get it. Their whole they card for their taxes. Their Let's whole, let our audience weigh in as well, guys. Um, just finish up your thought, Jason, and then we have Ginger and their, Sam up. Their, their whole the card audience. program, just so everyone understands, is you have to be a DC resident, and a majority of the people that would actually shop at DC stores are all people that live in Virginia, Maryland, and other surrounding states. So this is a win, a big fucking win. Ginger, would you like to weigh in on this uh, on this headline? And then Sam, please. Yes, I'd love to. Um, you know, I attended CanMed, which is a convention that happens um, here in California. They they uh, ha had it in Pasadena, which was a pretty surprising location. Um, and they had a bunch of doctors flying in from all over the world, and it was not one of those pay-to-play conventions. So it was peer-reviewed, and I was listening over and over again to these doctors talking about how um, the U.S., really wasn't a, um, a territory that was very um, conducive for them to do research. And most of that was because of the lack of federal support and therefore their licenses were in jeopardy. And um, I heard over and over again, you know, doctors from Canada, people from other countries that were a little bit more progressive and federally legalizing. And I feel like that did affect our medical community in the cannabis space. They were allowed to come out and actually talk to their patients about cannabis and not risk the license getting uh, affected. And I feel like that may be why, at least here in California, yeah, our bud tenders right now are a lot more open and a lot more knowledgeable about cannabis than our, our doctors are. And I don't agree with that. I think it should change, but I think that it is a result of our current political landscape.
difficult exactly. as an actor to talk about cannabis because uh, because if you aren't insured to talk about it and you're making recommendations for an alternative therapy, you can get uh, you can get scrutiny from the board. Uh, you know, I pay a eight thousand dollar premium a year to be allowed to write cannabis cards. Is Sam going to say anything? Gray market exists because price gouging exists in the medical market. When it's a millionaire's market, they're going to make their money. So as much as I'd love to say all use is medical use, a lot of use here, at least in Ohio, on the medical side, is for millionaires' profits. But you guys only have medical there, so the issue that about rec versus medical and how rec is sort of taking over is hasn't happened there yet right so that's the conversation going on the republicans are pushing back stating that any recreational market will kill our medical market so that's a big pusher from the gop side where they are a lot of them are stating that recreational markets only kill medical markets so they're actually using the other states experiences as their justification for not passing a recreational market in which the gray market will exist because that's the market that actually still cares about the patient vice the profits thank you sam the trap will never die let's keep it moving jason what we got next oh yeah coming up next to the state she's up to the stage next she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis and entertainment and psychedelics coming next to the stage no it's not di jane it's the founder of cannabis blog and podcast shall we talk it's none other than shalina panu Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Nevada officials approve cannabis consumption lounge regulations. According to Fox 5 Vegas, the Nevada Cannabis Compliance Board approved the rules and regulations for cannabis consumption lounges set to open by the end of this year. There will be a lottery system where roughly 40 to 45 licenses will be given to currently operating dispensaries who have plans to expand. Some dispensaries, especially in Las Vegas, have already begun building large-scale consumption facilities in anticipation of these regulations moving forward. Aside from the roughly 45 licenses given to dispensaries, there are an additional 20 licenses that will be allotted for independent lounges. Nevada wellness owner Frank Hawkins says, if there's a strong interest, if we have more applicants, then the board can consider putting forth future licenses. The Nevada Independent points out features of the regulations as follows. Lounges must have a plan for limiting workers' exposure to secondhand smoke from consumption rooms. Lounges must have a plan to limit impaired driving, such as partnering with a rideshare company or having a no tow policy. Lounges must, must ensure that cannabis consumption is not visible from the outside of the business. Higher concentration products sold at a lounge must include a disclaimer that they are not intended for inexperienced users. Alcohol, tobacco, and nicotine products may not be sold in the lounges. Water must be provided for free and without request. Guns must be prohibited in the business, and applicants must outline a plan for recruiting and retaining a diverse board and staff. 
and the executive director of the Nevada Com Cannabis Compliance Board, Tyler Klimas, uh, states that the regulations focus on safety and staff training. He emphasizes training for the staff for these consumption lounges so they can recognize these individuals who may be overconsuming. Further, a social equity preference was written into the regulations. There have been over 15 public meetings held for the regulations, with most discussions centered around an idea of a new license type, which could not only compensate those who have been affected by the war on drugs, but also also lower the high entry barriers. Executive Director of the Cannabis Control Board, Tyler, uh, states to the Nevada Independent, if we're trying to address the errors of drug policy over the last decades, all of that is not going to be satisfied by issuing 10 consumption lounge licenses to social equity applicants. Aisha Goins, who is Executive Director of the Cannabis Equity and Inclusion Community, states, I don't necessarily believe that this provides real ownership opportunities for those persons. The financial obstacles that have been put in place continue. It would seem that the Cannabis Compliance Board is very intentional about inclusion, yet the licensing and policy continues to block out a large amount of people. Nevada state officials will issue a formal notice about the application process 30 days in advance of the window opening. Further, tools and webinars would be scheduled to understand the process. Then the next step for applicants would be to determine suitability. As with all license requirements, one must receive local approval for their business. However, some dispensaries have already begun building their consumption lounges and have, planning, and have been planning to do so for years. Nevada, particularly Las Vegas, is a global tourism hotspot for live entertainment and culinary. With that, climate states he believes Nevada's rules are the most comprehensive and are modeled more like bars by selling individual servings of cannabis products on site, while some other states' lounges require consumers bring their own cannabis to use. Climas also said regulators have learned from the mistakes of the past as they open up the industry. A 2018 round of licensing in which 17 businesses received the 61 coveted licenses, even though 127 businesses had applied, was plagued by allegations of preferential treatment and subject to massive and complicated legal challenges challenges. Climate states that's what's important, making sure that this licensing round, this process of drafting and promulgating regulations is an accountable process. He further states it's open to anybody who wants to imply and that everybody gets the same information at the same time. What are your thoughts on this? My name is Shlaine and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Well, it, it took long enough and I will tell you this, that the reason and the rationale, the, the consumption lounges is definitely not making up for the equity and lack of equity in Nevada, period. Um, I don't know where Nicole Buffong is right now, but that's her home state and she's been attending these different meetings. So I agree with Aisha Goins 100%. However, the state of Nevada is a state where the legislature only meets every other year. So hopefully this will be a step in the right direction. So they meet in 2023 because they didn't meet in 2022 that we can have more substantive dialogue around um, having more equitable operators and owners in the state. Um, I think the the people like Planet 13 and some of the Apothecarium and um, New Leaf and some of these other big you know companies that are already there, um, this is just going to be a, a an additional add-on, additional revenue stream um, that's going to support, you know, the already millions of dollars they're already making. I agree with you, Raz, on that. Where is Nicole or Gerardo? Is he in the room? Anybody else from Vegas that can speak on this? There she is. Nicole, what's happening? Sorry, sorry to page you on your day off, but glad you uh, came. Aloha. <laughs> I'm, headed to the, I'm headed to the beach this morning. I wasn't able to attend the meeting yesterday. I'm sure um, Brie Padilla, maybe, or, or Joe DeCee, um, or Danny's in the audience, but 
um, just like what Aisha said, I was able to listen in um, via the Zoom yesterday and hear some of the concerns from, from people in the community. Um, you know, the, these licenses are just a drop in the bucket for the revenue that dispensaries make. Um, and my concern still, uh, which is something that we're not going to be able to get rid of, is the fact that the dispensaries will be the middleman for these independent and social equity lounges. So these lounges are not allowed to get product from the producer manufacturer. They have to buy it from the dispensary. So that's already giving them um, you know, a step behind. They're not going to be able to compete with what the dispensary is doing. So it's just going to be interesting to watch how this all unfolds. It is going to be a lottery to, as they select these um, licenses for independent and for social equity. And so that's also going to be interesting to see how it actually all pans out um, in the end, because they're not going to determine you get picked in this lottery based on your on your um, business plan. So you're, they're going to pick people that probably aren't going to be successful. Um, and that's going to look bad on the industry as well. So again, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. Good morning, Joe to see honey with the honey. Good morning, buzz, buzz, everyone. I was just jumping up here to piggyback off of Nicole. I didn't know if, Nicole, you were able to make it, but um, I'm Joe Desi. I'm the executive administrator for the Chamber of Cannabis, as well as the project manager and assistant with Roz at Minorities for Medical Marijuana. It's an honor to be here this morning. I always tune in, so thanks for having, having us. Um, yes, yesterday was quite impactful. It's pretty intense. It was a really long meeting, but I am looking forward um, to seeing how this plan, uh, pans out. Um, there are a lot, uh, there's more work to be done, but this is a step. I feel like it is a step in the right direction, but we still have so much time and so many opportunities to continue to build on these regulations. So that's all I had to say. Thank you so much. And real quick, uh, Gerardo, you have a comment for us. We got 20 seconds, but I want to make sure we got you in there because you've been great commenting on this um, whole topic as we've been covering it. Is he no longer up here? Oh, man. Should we relight the room? Relight! Relight! Grab your lighters, grab your bongs, grab your cons consenting adult partner, and let's relight this room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Often the opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker. The State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's smoke some more news on the State of Cannabis News Hour. Let's do it. He's an amazing storyteller with a reliable delivery smoother than a DHL on a hoverboard. <laughs> All about truth, justice, empathy, and getting dope news stories to the, to the people. This communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Reports Landing has been confirmed. And here to hit us with a little more of that hump day heat, Christopher Smith. What you got for us this morning, my man? Oh my God, Rico, you've outdone yourself. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, thanks, Jason, for producing. Hello out there, Susan, sending you good energy and love. 
Um, and thanks for the Clark Kent reference. I'm reading my story from a phone booth. I just might take off. And also shout out to, uh, to Medica Mahajan for sourcing this story from the Great Falls Tribune in Montana. It seems at first to be a small local story set in a faraway state about a little dispensary suing the big town council for a license to operate at first blush. Seems like a David versus Goliath story. Matt Damon gets a little chubby, plays the lead in the movie, but... I'm pretty sure Menica would agree it's emblematic of a bigger theme that's insidiously infected the cannabis industry nationwide. And we have to be aware of it and we have to fight back. And I do love a good conspiracy. The headline is Great Falls Couple Files Suit Against Marijuana Sale Ban Within City Limits. And I added my own subhead to describe the problem just for fun. Local control pollutes big sky country. What happened in the story is a straightforward uh, town council power play. The Tribune says that, quote, Janelle and Dale Yatsko have operated Green Creek Dispensary outside city limits for 14 years, where they started with medical sales, according to court documents. They were licensed by the Cannabis Control Division through the Department of Revenue, everything in order to grow and dispense adult use cannabis soon after the passage of rec sales statewide in 2021. The couple then filed safety inspection certificate application within the city of Great Falls to allow them to operate in a location within city limits this February. But city manager Greg Doyen denied the application, citing federal law on marijuana sales has not changed and the city ordinance passed in 2010 prohibiting the sale and production of marijuana within city limits. And just at that moment, Cascade County commissioners voted unanimously to limit zoning for dispensaries to two heavy industrial zones outside the Great Falls city limits. The Yatskos appealed. Of course, it was denied. The city council decided to make a referendum to opt out of adult use sales. So that's the meat of the article. Um, in accordance with um, HB 701, which I guess is uh, one of the, the regulations for the state, um, Cascade County is a green county, which means the majority of its voters voted in favor of recreational legalization and can only fully prohibit production and sale of cannabis through the referendum. So that's why they're going for the referendum next. But hold on there, cowboys. That horse has already left the barn. In November 2020, Cascade County had already voted 54.7% in favor to approve the law that legalized rec in Montana. The people have spoken. And let's be crystal clear, what Cascade County is trying to do is ignore the will of the people. The county is trying to bully them back into submission and push cannabis into the shadows, or in this case, deep into the industrial section of town, which is located on the other side of the tracks. Does that ring any bells in this room? So let's not forget that the original mythology against cannabis included the line that it's used by jazz musicians, which is code for black men. Local control is just another example of what Dr. Felicia mentioned earlier. It's a dog whistle. In plain English, local control is a classic bait and switch euphemism used by prohibitionists to put the hurt on our industry. It's no different than states' rights. It's not David versus Goliath. It's a Trojan horse. You show ignorant people something shiny and sexy and they bring it inside the walls. You tell people they have the power, they can be manipulated to exercise it in strange ways. There's a straight line from states' rights to local control to January 6th. There are three versions of the same corrupt thinking. Stealing the will of the people is un-American, and this seductive fairy tale of local control must be stamped out like the disease it is. <sighs> I'm curious to hear from 
<laughs> from Menica on this issue. I know I blow things up pretty big sometimes. Can you please bring us back to earth? And I'm hundred percent. Thank you, Superman, for covering this story. I'm so glad that you did. Um, you know, I, I, I really love that they're doing this. And I think that your connection to sort of minority rule and the, the ability of local governments being able to essentially impose their minority position on the majority um, via local control and the, the power of their elected office and I like to see people in the community pushing back on that, especially when then they have the numbers at the ballot to support their position and then utilizing these different strategies to essentially school their own elected officials on how democracy works um, and how representative government works. So, so power to them. I'm cheering for them. Montana, you need to vote different people into office. What are your thoughts on uh, Montana? Jason, I know you have a couple of political allies out there. I have lots of political allies in Montana. As you know, that's God's country, bro. <laughs> God, choo God chooses one country over the other, huh? That would be choosing one state over another, Rico, what you're alluding to. But no, it's just referred to as God's country. Well, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on Montana and in, in reaching, reaching an impasse here? Um, I mean, I, I always support anyone that's putting together a local initiative that's going to provide more access for their community. So I'm, I'm all for this. And that's the way that our system was made for people to change laws that are unjust is, is through this exact process. So I totally support this. In this case, it's actually what they're doing is changing the law against the cannabis industry, against us. Um, and so I'm not sure how that serves anybody, especially since just according to this article, again, this is not my personal knowledge, but in, in the, in the article, what it says is that the people have voted in favor of cannabis and the city council is now trying to put them down. So I don't know how that's, in, that's favorable. Hold on, hold on, Christopher. So, so, so you're telling me that, that, that this couple, um, that, that a, a system has been put in place in Great Falls, and yet there's a prohibitionist couple that filed a suit to stop the commerce that's going on. Is that is that what I'm I hearing? I think what I read, Jason, was is in fact exactly the opposite, which is that the couple is trying to gain access to the city to a location inside the city limits, and the city is trying to block them out and push them off, off across the across the track. So it's the other way around, actually. So that's exactly what I stated the first time around, which which I thought which I thought it was. I, I super support that type of political action. And people need to get more uh, actively vibrant in their in their communities and be and be voting politicians out that support measures like this. And that's just what it comes down to. But um, if the people don't speak, the people don't get heard. Well, that's a good point. They need to vote against the referendum that's coming. Good point. Exactly. Every competent person out there should see what offices are um, are up this year. And even if you don't know if you can win, if you've got something to say, just run for something. Don't run unless you can win. It's a waste of time. I disagree with that. I disagree with that, too. I disagree with that three. I only believe in Four. winning. I only believe in winning. Four five, what happens six. when you lose, Jason? I don't. Burn the it's whole only, thing It's down. only a visual perspective on you if I lose because really I'm actually winning. If you lose, you throw the plates against the wall and you grab the wheel of the secret security vehicle.
You know that that's not true, Christopher. You know that's all baloney and malarkey. <laughs> that's malarkey. It's you, malarkey. I, I like the way you, you reached across the aisle there, Jason. That's a Joe Biden word. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. You mentioned Joe Biden today, Rico. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Heads up. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it What you got, Jason? Who's next? Me. I don't know who is next. That's a good question. I am. Medica. Yep. Oh, yeah. Coming up next to the stage, it's none other than Menica Mahajan. She is a pot-loving PhD and champion of common sense cannabis policy, a real-life alternative activist remaining optimistic in the midst of the cannabis chaos. Coming next to the stage, it's none other than Menica Mahajan. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, everyone, for your patience as I sort of navigate the um, the mod role here today. Today, I'm talking about a new report released by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, the UNODC, and this is published in the United Nations News. On Monday, the UNODC released the World Drug Report 2022, providing an overview of global drug use drug trends in different world regions, its take on the re repercussions of cannabis legalization, cocaine, meth, and opium production and trafficking, drug manufacturing in conflict zones, environmental impacts, and so on. Here's the top line summary from the UN ODC chief. Quote, numbers for the manufacturing and seizures of many illicit drugs are hitting record highs, <coughs> excuse me, even as global emergencies are deepening vulnerabilities. At the same time, misperceptions regarding the magnitude of the problem and the associated harms are depriving people of care and treatment and driving young people towards harmful behaviors. I'm gonna run through some of the highlights for you, starting with the global estimates of the number of drug users. Cannabis, 209 million. Opioids, 61 million. Amphetamines, 34 million. Cocaine, 21 million. Ecstasy, 20 million and some 284 million 15 to 64 year olds used drugs in 2020, uh, which, which signals a 26% increase during the course of a decade. The report also claimed that legalized cannabis has increased daily usage among young adults. In North America, state level legalization and especially new potent products containing elevated levels of high, what they say is high inducing THC, appears to have increased daily usage, uh, particularly among young adults. It has also caused, according to this report, a surge among people with psychiatric disorders, increased suicides and hospitalizations while generally reducing possession arrests. Cocaine manufacturing is up 11% from the previous year and meth trafficking has increased fivefold between 2010 and 2020. Heisenberg, is that you? Moving to rehab, the report found that most people in drug rehab throughout Africa and South and Central America are primarily being treated for cannabis use, while those in Eastern and Southeastern Europe and Central Asia most often uh, get help with the misuse of opioids. Drug overdoses in the U.S. have gone up from 92,000 in 2020 to 107,000 in 2021. Environmental impacts. According to the report, because of the intensive energy demands of artificial cultivation, the carbon footprint is 16 to 100 times greater for indoor cannabis than for outdoor cannabis, according to this report. Other environmental impacts include deforestation associated with 
illicit coca cultivation. So they're, you know, talking about different drugs here uh, or different substances. Waste generated during synthetic drug manufacturing, which can be five to 30 times the volume of the end product and dumping other waste that it can, can affect soil, water and air directly. Finally, the report addresses gender differences. Women are the minority of drug users globally, but the report said that their consumption rate increases more rapidly compared to men's and fewer get treatment. That's my update on the UNODC's Global War on Drugs. Thank you for having me on today. I'm Minika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thanks for sharing that, Manika. I'm uh, I'm a little surprised that the report says there are only 209 million users of cannabis globally. I mean, with a world population approaching 8 billion, I believe, that's only like two and a half percent of the people in the world. I'd like to think more people consume cannabis than that. What would be your guess, Brandon? Just curious. Uh, certainly Four billion? at least or double that globally. Yeah. But I would hope at least a billion. I mean, I would hope a eighth of the world's population is consuming cannabis on an annual basis. I'd agree with you on that. Are you saying that for the pun in there, Brandon? Are you saying that for the pun involved in that? Uh, No, but the the round numbers are nice. (laughs) I mean, if you were in Ohio, would you say a tenth of the population? I was about to, oh, you beat me to, you beat me to that one. (laughs) What about an Ohio (laughs) eight? You knew that was coming. Thank, thank you, Minica, for bringing this story. Um, Ukraine never ceases to surprise me, uh, finding out new things about them all the time. Um, what I have a concern about is the reper- repercussions of cannabis legalization. Um, how are they putting an increase in psychiatric disorders and increased suicides on cannabis? That's, that's not right. I mean, it's, it, I think uh, we know that mental health has deteriorated during this pandemic due to you know, all the death and morbidity and shutdowns and, and all of that. I, 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 I think that that's, that's one area of this report that's probably not correct. It definitely has an, and great points, it definitely has an undertone of fear about cannabis and, and clearly a bias against it, just from, you know, reading the way, the word choices and things like that. So the if you pick your research and pick your data to support your perspective, then... Uh, we have talked about certain studies that that show some of these um, some of these findings. So I guess I guess those are the reports that are being picked for inclusion in this in this study. Very interesting. Shall we keep it moving? Let's move. Let's do it. This Long Beach based. IP lawyer and facial hair aficionados got a beard game stronger than the fentanyl-laced, high-potency weed that prohibitionist propagandists warn us about daily in their Reefer Madness newsletters. The current CEO of Fruits Labs is coming to the stage next, y'all. Brandon Dorsky, what you got for us today, my man? Thanks for having me. My headline comes from MJ Biz Daily. It's Fitch Downgrade Canopy Growth, Citing Cannabis Market Share Losses. This is about canopy growth stock going into the going in the dumpster. Fitch downgraded the rating for Canopy Growth earlier this week, dropping it to CCC, the agency's fifth lowest rating, suggesting the investment has substantial credit risk with a quote, very low margin for safety and a real possibility of default. Their previous default rating was B minus, which meant highly speculative. 
but this downgrade pushes it into even riskier territory. The downgrade is the product of Canopy's loss of significant market share in Canada, difficulties encountered in pivoting their cultivation strategy, and other mess missteps. Their sales fell 10% in the fiscal year 2022 that ended March 31st of this year, and that was partially due to a shift away from the value segment of the supply chain, despite the Canadian market growing by 50% to a total of $3.1 billion in 2021. So while the marketplace in Canada grew 50%, Canopy's sales fell 10%. Fitch implied that it is doubtful Canopy could reach break-even cash flow by March 31st, 2025. And Fitch signaled the credit rating could even be further downgraded if Canopy stumbles in executing their premium upgrade of their cultivation strategy, if Constellation Brands' support of Canopy slips, or if Canopy pursues a repayment or refinancing of $466 million worth of Canadian notes. Fitch noted that Canopy's cash and cash equivalents also dropped by almost $1 billion, from $2.3 billion Canadian a year ago to $1.4 billion at the end of the fiscal year this year. Canopy is unfortunately also approaching repayment of $600 million or Canadian dollars in notes in July of 2023. And Fitch believes the company's financing options have become considerably more limited due to the changing market conditions. It believes the notes repayment may create more distress and that the ongoing cash burn in market conditions could further impair Canopy's ability to access capital. Canopy shares trade as wheat on the Toronto Stock Exchange and CGC on the NASDAQ, and it's doing terribly. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Thank you for covering this one, Brandon. Um, I think Motley Fool had a article that came out, it was yesterday or the day before, saying Canopy Growth is the only cannabis stock that you should be holding on to long term. <laughs> Well, that's because it was the Motley Fool, though, right, Rico? Motley Fool has some great insight, man. I did a lot of great work uh, um, uh, through their recommendations um, uh, post the Great Recession, coming out of the trough of the recession in 08, 09. If you're holding but, um, any cannabis stock, the best thing you can do for yourself is short that shit. <laughs> Either buy and hold if you're an investor or... Uh, trade smartly on the swings if you are a trader but um do not take advice from us <laughs> that's all short everything short that shit <laughs> burn it all down i feel like we need a rap song for short that shit i'm coming through on friday jason let's do it yeah short that Wall shit Street rap it's a new thing short that shit Okay, moving on. Burn it down! <laughs> Good Lord. Coming up next, she's a Florida-based entrepreneurial badass leading the charge for the ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis. Also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Coming up to the stage and bringing us home is none other than Roz McCarthy. I'm bringing us home. I'm bringing us home, guys. My Lord, you guys are making up songs on here. Um, listen, um, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Roz McCarthy here. And my um, 
piece that I'm, I'm talking about today is coming from the state of Louisiana, and this is from Cannabis Business Times, and this is uh, Melissa Sheeler. Sheeler is the um, the author of this article. So it says, um, Louisiana governor signs legislation to protect workers who use medical cannabis and they open additional dispensaries. So this new law takes effect August 1st. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards signed legislation into law this month to protect workers who use medical cannabis and to allow the state to more than triple the number of dispensaries currently serving patients. House Bill 988, sponsored by Representative Mandy Landry, Democrat, New Orleans, protects employees from being fired as well as protects job candidates from being discriminated against if they are registered medical cannabis patients. Uh, as a reminder, Louisiana is a state that has a medical program. They have two producers and looks like they're going to have double the dispensaries. So the Louisiana House passed the, uh, the House Bill 988 May 24th in a 60 to 32 vote. And the Senate approved it June 1st in a 26 to 8 vote. Bill Edwards signed the legislation into law June 18th and it will take effect August 1st. In addition, the Democrat governor signed House Bill 697 into law as Act 491 to more than triple the number of medical cannabis dispensaries in the state. This too takes place in August 1st. Um, Louisiana launched the program in 2019. The new law establishes nine regions for each of these license holders and directs the Louisiana Board of Pharmacy to issue a 10th license to the region with the, with the highest population density as of August 1st, 2022. Um, we may have Lakeisha Camise. Um, she's actually um, lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, up on stage, if we could bring her up, I would love to get her um, insight on Louisiana. But as I wrap up, um, HB, uh, HB 697 also allows existing medical cannabis dispensaries in each region to open two additional storefronts in their regions when defined patient counts are met. A license holder may open a second dispensary after 3,500 active patients are identified in the state's prescription monitoring program in a region and can then open a third dispensary after both dispensaries are serving 3,500 active patients. Um, I'll just wrap up to say that, you know, we are seeing progress in Louisiana. It's not nearly enough, especially when you're talking about 3,500 people in order to open up a second dispensary. Lack of access is truly an issue, especially in communities of color. And so I'm hoping that this progress we're seeing in Louisiana, um, that we'll see even more as time goes on. So I'm Roz McCarthy signing off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We'd love to hear your um, thoughts. Hey, Roz, this is Lakeisha Kamis. Thank you so much for um, having me on the stage today. Um, this, this is interesting, this article, because it looks like they're trying to do the expansion, but really they're not. It's just kind of like a facade. Yes, you're going to not penalize or um, punish those applicants who are coming in um, and saying, hey, I utilize medical marijuana, but you have to have a card. To get a card in Louisiana is $199 per year. So, um, again, it's that access issue. As far as the dispensaries, it's great to open dispensaries, but let me give you a few facts here. We only have two cultivators, two licensed cultivators, and they're both linked up to actual colleges, A&M colleges. There's LSU and there's Southern University. So you still just have these only two cultivators in the state and they are overwhelmed. Um, and for the dispensaries, you have nine currently in the state, but they are spread out in regions like New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Monroe, Shreveport, Alexandria, Lake Charles, Homa, Lafayette, and Madisonville. 
Now I can tell you being in Baton Rouge, which is the capital city to New Orleans is an hour, hour, 15 minutes away to Lafayette is an hour and seven minutes away. So although you're allowing them to open two more dispensaries in that region, each of them are spread out across the state. So you're looking at anywhere from an hour, hour and a half away between each of these points. So you're still not giving enough access for the state. You're still only allowing that monopoly to happen where you're only allowing the existing dispensary license holders to expand. So you're not opening up the market to any new people. Um, and so it's, it's still just that cloak and dagger where we're giving you a little something to pacify you, but not really you know, expanding it and opening it as far as competition and market-wise. Man, I couldn't have said that better. Ooh, that Lakeisha Kamis. Listen, my MM folks, we be coming through. Thank you, Lakeisha, for just breaking it down for us. And that means Louisiana. We still got a lot of work to do. So I, I just implore us to just keep our eye on the ball and uh, we'll, we'll continue pushing forward from there. Rico, uh, uh, Jason, any thoughts on Louisiana? Um, big thank you for your comments on that, Lakeisha. It's always great to have insight on the ground. Thank you for um, putting that together. Uh, um, Roz, and like I always say, man, we ask for a dollar, they give us 10 cents. Will we be satisfied with the dime? I say, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying not to be satisfied. People think I'm trying to be passive and be satisfied. I'm not. I try to find community and figure out ways that we can work within the system. Because if you believe me, it's a politics game out here with this cannabis reform and legalization. And, and, and you have to be very nuanced in your approach. And I want to go for everything and want to be able to knock down these walls. But, you know, it is it is a process to progress. We applaud your efforts, Roz. Keep on doing what you do. Got you right on. We've reached the top of the hour. So that was a great show. If you missed any of it, you can catch us anywhere that you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all the correspondents that com come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and to Jaja Simone for pinning links today. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference. Where that music at? Tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday. 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your daily dose. Bye. Hey, Jason, I already I already wrote 32 bars for that shit. Let's bring the heat on Friday. Green Street's going to get burned <laughs> down. Have a great day, everyone. Up, Rico. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> Say goodbye, Rico. Have a good one. Bye.